Hi, I'm Russ Capper, and this is HXTV, championing Houston's innovators and entrepreneurs. Brought to you by PKF Texas CPAs and advisors, servicing Houston's innovators for over 15 years. My guest today, Nick Radford, co-founder and CTO of Houston Mechatronics. Nick, great to have you on the show. Russ, pleasure. Tell us about Houston Mechatronics. Houston Mechatronics is, in my humble opinion, one of the most exciting robotic startup companies uh, that we've got going on. We are completely revolutionizing the way work is being done offshore, both at the top side and in the subsea world. How old is the company? The company actually just went through its five-year anniversary, but like all startup companies, it takes a little while to get it going, get it off the ground, kind of moves around a little bit. So I'd say we've been in business probably about four years. Okay. And how many people you have here today? We hired three people this week, and I got kind of lost on the numbers, but okay. uh, I'll, I'll call it a, a solid 70. Okay. And, and I would assume that a great majority of them are engineers? Yeah, actually. In fact, there's, uh, there's even subdivisions with that, right? So about half the company is software. I think it's really important to point that out because, uh, especially in, a, in such a multidisciplinary field like robotics, uh, it takes, it takes uh, this confluence of disciplines, software, mechanical, and electrical, all coming together, building some really creative and exciting stuff. Now, the backbone of the company today, the, the product backbone of the company today, is the Aquanaut. Tell us about that. Well, you can see the happiest robot in the ocean behind us. Right. And, uh, and that is something that we're pushing out and promoting as a new way to do work underwater. We just don't think that the, the, the last 40 years really represents what the next 40 years is going to look like. And so okay. we feel we're right on that inflection point, and we're pushing, we're pushing real hard toward that. Okay. So it is an underwater vehicle. Uh, I guess there could be several markets, uh, several industries that would be interested in, in such a device? Uh, per perfectly put, because oil and gas is just one of them. There's multiple adjacent markets that we plan on exploring into. Um, you can think of underwater telecommunications work. Uh, there's actually the compute industry is looking offshore uh, to do several um, things with server farms. You can also look at other things like offshore wind uh, and the expansion of, the, uh, of that, th those type of energy markets and doing all the inspection and maintenance of those, of those infrastructure. So oil and gas just represents uh, one market of many that we're going to be uh, using this product in. What can it do? So right now, the way work is done offshore is that you take, uh, you'll take your vessel out, you'll steam it out, you'll drop this, uh, what they call an ROV off the side, and it's attached to a fairly long extension cord, which kind of gets in the way a lot. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a pretty capable device, but the way that it's controlled is very direct, almost like you would have a, a backhoe operator on a big machine. It's kind of just a long version of that. And what we've been looking at is how we infuse more ro modern robotic techniques, a lot of which that we cut our, uh, cut our teeth on at NASA in the spaceflight community, how we infuse those and completely change the way and therefore reduce the cost in which work is done underwater. Okay, so, so you're replacing these devices that you know, had these big umbilical cards today and, and, and people thought they were state of the art, but you're kind of taking a couple of steps ahead. Right? Well, what, what I find interesting is the companies that push those ROV technologies, they, they were really instrumental and innovative back in the day mm -hmm. because they were replacing divers. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of robotic themes is how do we infuse robotic type capability to remove people from hazardous situations? And they recognized that a long time ago and, and aptly solved the problem. But today we have other issues where that type of infrastructure really isn't 
uh, what's going to probably win the day. And so what we represent here at Houston Mechatronics is, is taking some big bets in technology and with a careful market study going after where we think the real pain points are. Well, how big is it? How much does it weigh? Well, well Aquanaut is uh, its actually a, a subsea robot transformer, right? And so it's got two forms. It's got the form of an AUV, an autonomous underwater vehicle, where it's more sleek and goes through the water in, in a very streamlined way. But when it gets on station, it transforms into this ROV looking thing. And so it weighs about a, 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 a thousand kilos and it's, a, it's about three and a half meters long and a couple meters wide in its sleek form, but then it can expand. And so it, it takes on many different forms. But in, in the space of ROVs and AUVs, it's like a Saab double hull, a saber tooth or an oceaneering Enovis. It's about those dimensions. Okay, so an Aquanaut could be carried out on a boat, dropped in the water and be on its own, or it could come in off the shore too, oh, right? There's, totally there's, independent. You're exactly right. There's actually a, a, a myriad of ways that we could launch and deploy and recover these light, um, these distributed light assets. In fact, we see more of an ecosystem in play as opposed to the very point-to-point -point model that has been traditionally set up. So you could drop this off of an autonomous helicopter if you wanted. You could drop this off an autonomous surface vessel or even a small vessel. You could launch it from shore. You could launch it from a ship that you already have out there or a drilling platform. What we are pursuing is a tetherless way to do work underwater. Okay. So you've mentioned a NASA background. You mentioned VC funded. I want to cover both of those first, but uh, the VC funding, did that happen recently? Well, we've actually had two capital rounds. Okay. And so our first capital round, we closed in 15. And we got out into the marketplace, got hooked up with a, a large oil and gas service company. And uh, they, they recognized the value in what we were bringing. Um, we had done quite a few uh, instrumental things at NASA. And what we brought with that was some deep domain expertise about robotics. And so from that investment in 15, we then parlayed that forward into a further capital raise and another investment in March of 18, where we closed uh, a, a rather large capital round on what we call a Series B mm -hmm. uh, and pulled on another company in the Houston marketplace to really attack this. I guess, I guess you know, in, in your space though, you, you not only need capital, but it sort of feels like you need Houston too, because I mean, you know, that's where your connection is to NASA and all these engineers is, the Houston marketplace, right for you? You couldn't tear me out of the city if you had to. I absolutely love Houston. In fact, I think it's it's one of the most unsung uh, areas to build up a business and develop in. Uh, the largest medical center in the world, the energy capital of the world, the aerospace that's here, even the defense component of this. And, and to me, uh, we looked out and said, holy cow, all the opportunity that exists here. and and. I don't think we could have started this company somewhere else trying to do this energy play because we could just drive right up into the city and have meetings three times a week. Right. I didn't have to jump on a plane. I didn't have to come down from Boston. Right. I didn't have to come over from San Jose or Palo Alto. I was right here and, and got to know intimately this area and, and just wow. It is underrated, and, and I actually don't want to tell anybody. In fact, we should probably <laughs> cut this part out. Exactly, because be. we want to keep this for ourselves. That's right, that's right. Well, you're located real close to NASA, too. You had quite a few years there. That's, that's where you, you really got into robotics. I mean, yeah. seriously, with yeah. 
Well, NASA it was just such a privilege and an honor. It, it, it's it, the the people that you get to work around there are just second mm -hmm. to none, mm -hmm. and and the problems you get to solve are literally out of this world. Mm -hmm. You know, pun intended, I would right. suppose. But but we got to work on some of the most capstone and flagship projects, and we studied problems that were so apropos to working underwater that okay. we look back now in hindsight and say, holy cow. Just, just how serendipitous that whole right. experience was, right? right? So NASA, we just tried to put a robot in a remote location, get it to do work, interact with the environment, be safe with very little communication. Mm -hmm. We never got the opportunity to have uh, our robots tethered, right? So far, we haven't been able to tether anything to the Earth, <laughs> right. right? You know, so so we had to we had to we had to solve that problem. And working underwater is exactly that. Well, it seems like working with robots, like you have for quite some time, is one thing but working on robots that are under, in the sea, in the water, in the salt water, continuously operating, could be uh, an added challenge. It is the added challenge, actually. In fact, I get this question uh, a few times here and there, and, it, and everybody says, is it harder building robots for space, or is it harder building robots underwater? And I haven't decided whether it's 10 times harder or 50 times harder building robots to go underwater than, than it is in space. And, and then that's not to take away anything from flying right. robots in space. Right. It's right. very challenging to get to space. You have to expend a significant amount of energy in a short period of time. But once you're there, things are relatively calm. It's, you know, uh, you can set something in motion in space and a thousand years later come back and have predicted with incredible precision where it will be. You cannot do that underwater. Things grow on everything. It's turbulent. There's, there's stuff everywhere. There's sand, there's silt you can't see. Um, it's dark, it's extremely cold, and the pressure. I mean, we've got the weight of the ocean when we're underwater. We have the weight of the ocean bearing down on us. And so, yes, it is extraordinarily challenging. Okay, Nick, so it's very impressive what's going on here today. But share your perspective. What, what would you like the company to be like 10 years from now? 10 years from now, uh, what I see is a lot of our internal product development efforts have really taken hold in the industry and, and then have flourished. And so Aquanaut principally being our largest product development, but we also have a lot of other opportunities when it comes to offshore automation. So we're looking at intelligent drilling. We're looking at intelligent safety systems that interact with the living, breathing rig. Mm -hmm. We also see connecting that to an entire ecosystem of Aquanauts as they're working offshore. So this play is just not about building the happiest robot in the ocean mm -hmm. and, and getting it to do its job. It's actually threading an entire ecosystem together, digital top to bottom, increasing efficiency, safety, and reducing costs for the entire industry. Nick, I really appreciate you sharing your well, story with us. Pleasure to speak with you. You bet. And that wraps up my discussion with Nick Radford, co-founder and CTO of Houston Mechatronics. And this is HX TV.